think it's actually, I'll tell you what the answer to that is, is proving a point to my parents. And it's gotten to the point where they still praise my brother more than me, even though I'm more successful than him. <laughs> you had that confidence to go in and ask those uncomfortable mm. questions. You dug deep and what happened? You opened him up, you got him in. Imagine you've got a revolver, and every time they say something, you put that, that's a bullet, you put it in that revolver, you wait to the end, and then when it comes to the shot, that's when you pull the trigger, once you've filled up with all those bullets. But what I've seen a lot of people do is they're not digging. So once you get someone to click into gear that they're gonna actually spend money, and their wallet's out and they're really paying, they're in like buying behavior mode, mode which is when, it's your job to then actually try and sell those people. I love taking my calls. I just want to cut back a bit on my calls so I can actually not just have time on my family, time on my business, but actually be able to like use this money to be with my family. Today, if you want to learn some insights about how to scale sales teams, how to make more money, how we build a really successful sales team, today we've got probably my oldest school friend, Jack, who we set up a business called Closing Force three, four years ago. Yeah. Um, which is mainly based in Mexico, but has remote closers all over the world. Um, we were talking about, before we go into this, which I think is interesting to talk about, why I'm so driven and wired the way I am. I probably don't know why. I think it's, uh, I think it's actually, I'll tell you what the answer to that is, is proving a point to my parents. And it's gotten to the point where they still praise my brother more than me, even though I'm more successful than him. And I think for the first time last year, my dad said he was proud of me, but he said it's cost you fucking everything to get to that point, which I thought was a bit of a weird comment. It's a double, it's a, yeah, it's yeah, like, it's, well it's done, a positive, but, but a stab yeah. at the same time, which was a bit of a weird one. But I think um, that for me, I think is one of the main reasons I see a lot of guys who are very driven is they're trying to prove a point to their parents. Mm -hmm. um, but then when you start to get into that position, it's just that becomes who you are. And I, think about that a lot that there's negative to stuff like that but also the negatives of maybe not had a bad upbringing like as we know but um the negatives of whatever that scenario are are who made you who you are right now so you have to see the positives in that 100 percent. and you without blowing your own trumpet blowing your trumpet you've managed to like you said we came from good backgrounds and not many people are going to surpass what our parents gave us but I think you're on the track to probably even go past what your dad gave you, which is not a mean, not an easy feat, is it? No. Like I, I came from an affluent background. I think I heard a saying actually. Alex Lomoja talked about it, and he was like, his first goal was to make uh, make as much money as his dad, then make more money than his dad, and then make more money than his dad ever fucking could do in a lifetime. And I was like, that's pretty fucking sick. I was like, that really resonated <laughs> with me. Um, and I think when you start to think what drives and motivates you, sometimes it's easy to then push yourself further. Um, but it's been interesting because you've known me since I was 13 probably yeah I think we're now it's probably 21 years of knowing each other now yeah. and we've done we've gone from like two extremes so now we have businesses and before when we first started like being like friends friends good friends we were living in Spain being drinking being idiots yeah being degenerates and then slowly it's built into something with quite a lot of momentum it's quite quite cool what would you say um this is an interesting question to ask you about me. What do you think was the biggest catalyst in me changing? Because actually, no, I'll say an interesting thing. No disrespect to the people involved, but I would say we've stepped away from friendship groups who we maybe had previously who weren't aligned within the values of the directions you wanted to go, if that makes sense. I, I, that was actually what I was going to go into. I think it was that. You, 
I don't know if it was a conscious choice or a subconscious choice, but we stepped away from people that were just happy being where they were. And we wanted something else, especially you. You wanted like big, big things. And you just cut them out and moved on. Not so much cut them out, but like just put them on the back burner, surrounded yourself with the right people. You know, I think that's why you've come to Dubai as well. Yeah, it's um, two biggest things that impact your success is one, the environment you, you're in. And second is the partner and who you have. Because like, they're the two biggest things that have the biggest impact in your environment and changed obviously both those recently. I think that's where you being bold enough to change those situations um, has a big impact in terms of like actually forcing you to change. And that whole analogy of like nothing changes if nothing changes is really true. Well, and if you think about it from a young age, how old were we when we moved to Spain? 18 18 we were done with like yeah. living that shit yeah it's like fuck the matrix yeah yeah like we wanted to we were walking around Marbella going like how can we do this how can we yeah. make this happen and then we never were happy where we were so then yeah. we came back to England I went to Mexico and then you went to Dubai like we were just done with that England rainy just everyone 9 to 5 pay my bills go home and this is an interesting to talk about we both went to private school where there was a lot of affluent kids there and I would say I haven't seen any of them really set the world on fire. Not without the parents' money. Yeah. The only person that's done it, like, off their own back. Yeah, I, I can't, like, and that's, I think, something to take away from that for anyone listening to this is that I actually think that you necessarily not coming from a privileged background is an advantage because I think for 99% of people, it will make you more driven because you have no other fucking option. Whereas people who come from a, a safe, secure background, they don't really give a shit because they know the mum and dad's going to bail them out and buy them a house and whatever it might be. Yeah, they're already they're already set, really. Mm. You know, yeah, yeah, very true. Um, to come into the sales side of stuff, what would you say to people who are selling fitness programs? Is if there's one to two things they can action straight away as an easy thing to improve fitness sales that they should maybe look at. I think. What I see, I mean, as you know, like I've started helping seven-figure scalings with doing lots of sale reviews, uh, like the reviews of people's calls. And the biggest thing is people are going onto their calls. Or they, I can see it. They're thinking, they're, they're looking in that first five minutes or less, that first like 30 seconds, like, oh, are you going to say yes or no? And you can see that. You can all, see the tension. That's all they're thinking is, is this a guy a yes or is this a no? They're not going into this call thinking, I'm going to find exactly where this person's pain is and I'm going to fix it for them. Like we say to the closers in, in, in closing force, don't worry about your commission. Worry about actually helping these people. If you worry about helping these people, you genuinely care about helping these people, your commission is going to be just fine. But if you just focus on, shit, I've got rent, or I've got a car payment, I've got this, I have to sell today, nothing's going to happen because people are just going to see that. You're going to, you're going to reek of desperation. Commission breath. Yeah. Commission breath. I like that. <laughs> Write that down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, and it's a, a true thing though, because that comes over on the way you talk, the way you think, the questions you ask, your tonality, your body language. And I think that's where, and we all know that, right? When you're, I'll give an example. I think I was on a run in December last year selling people's Mastermind. I think I sold 15 people in a row. I was like, I'm fucking God's greatest gift to sell. So I'm on fucking Billy Big Balls. And I think after I closed, I went five and oh and didn't close anyone. Or did no one signed up. And I was like, what the fuck's going on? And that's where sales is a skill that like you constantly need to sharpen the axe. Mm -hmm. And I actually think when you go on a proverbial hot streak, you actually get, you start skipping steps sometimes. 
and you don't really do what you're supposed to do and you sort of go through the motions with through some of it whether it's not like going deep enough asking the right questions and like a lot of the time the thing you need to do is ask the uncomfortable question and really push the person like i've sent you some of my sales call recordings and respectfully like i've had people in tears on calls before and i'll, I'll give an example there was a guy i spoke to a couple of months ago um who ended up on tears on the second call he had a lot of limiting beliefs and mindsets uh, issues. He then signed up on a third call, maybe two, three weeks later on. He messaged me about four days ago to make it, say he made five grand in a day. So it's like, I completely altered the respect of, uh, perspective of his life. And then that, now he looks at me like the man who's invented fire because I've changed the way he looks at the world and that money isn't a finite resource. It's just, he needs to be resourceful to go and get it. And when people have a change of perspective like that, it completely changes the game because your actions change and the the way you think and the way you talk and the way you deal with a prospect on the phone things because you're then trying to actually, like as you said, the goal of you going into this course to try and change someone's life, whether you just give them value or they join the program and we help them. And if you come across actually trying to help someone, then they'll see into that and then see the value straight away. Yeah, and you said you 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 had that confidence to go in and ask those uncomfortable mm. questions. You dug deep, and what happened? Mm. You opened him up. You got him in. What we what I find, especially when we do when we have English closers or we're training people that are like closers that want to take calls for English people directly. As English people, we're not very good at asking uncomfortable questions. So I like my we don't like talking about money. No, we don't like talking about money. We don't like talking about our feelings either. We push that no, down. No. You know, so we have, we have to like, we get, I get the phrase I always live by is we have to start being comfortable at being uncomfortable. So when we're on these calls, you have to say to yourself before that call, what's it called? Like an affirmation before the yeah. call, like I'm Jack and I ask uncomfortable questions and like go into that call, like I do it. And you just got to, even if you don't like it, just write it down, write those like grim questions that you go like, shit, I've got to dig deeper, dig deeper. Just get it there. Be comfortable with being uncomfortable and your life will change. And I think you actually not having the minerals to like ask uncomfortable questions is letting the other person down and letting you down. Yeah. And the reality is people will have a lot more respect for you to ask that direct question because no one's probably ever fucking asked them before. And I see, I see it a lot. When I review sales calls, I can see someone will say, okay, so what's the main goal at the moment? I really, I really want to just lose this belly fat to be more confident. And they go, yeah, confidence is important. And they just move on to the next question. No, what would you, what would you do? Okay, that's a good question. So I'd be like, okay, cool. So um, Jack, have, have, you got, have you, got, you got a girlfriend? Yeah. Cool. And how do you feel when you're with your girlfriend? Comfortable with how the way you look? Not really, no. And how long has this been going on for? Way too long. And how does it make you feel maybe when you're lying in bed with your girlfriend or you're at the pool because you live in Mexico and it's sunny? I don't want to take my T-shirt off. And do you think that maybe affects the way you act and maybe stops you doing certain things. Yeah, it's probably held me back. And when you see, we see where he starts going, yeah, like, you just you start going down that rabbit hole, you opening up and you opening up. And exactly. You're opening up. Except when I see it on the recordings, it's almost like they go, oh, I could dig deep now, but oh no, it's it. awkward. And they move on. Like you just got to go on, dig for it, go in, like go hard. And what I often see happen as well as that point, you see someone's face change. Mm -hmm. So like, I remember saying this to one of the sales guys, the mastermind about um, talking about someone's wife. And like the most important thing I always say to everyone is like, 
get their partner's name, get their children's name, because particularly if you're dealing with men and women, um, the most important people in their lives is going to be those people. So if you always relate everything back to that, it will have a lot more value and it'll be a lot stronger. And as soon as this person's partner came up, the fucking guy's face completely changed. It's like, you f- I fucking saw it. And I was like, that's the fucking thing that you need to go in on, but they didn't see it. Yeah. And that's often the problem is that people it's the unknown unknowns that they can't see yet and when you start to point these things out and you go you're looking for it on the call it then becomes easy because then you're like okay cool so um you're uncomfortable with your wife Layla how do you think she feels about that situation like how do you think she feels about the way when you start to ask like it's an uncomfortable question to ask yeah yeah but then they're like I don't think she really likes it but she's still like, like do you know what I mean that's that's the fucking deep question. And that's where you fucking got them. And those those are actually, I use this analogy a lot. Like when you're on your call, imagine you've got a revolver and every time they say something, you put that, that's a bullet. You put mm. it in that revolver, you wait to the end. And then when it comes to the shot, that's when you pull the trigger once you've filled up with all those bullets. But what I've seen a lot of people do is they're not digging. So they're not getting those bullets. And at the end, when they're going to go pull the trigger, they've got no bullets and they're just trying to beat the deal in. When actually that's not going to go anywhere. They haven't got the bullets. Well, the problem is at that point is they people ask about what how to handle objections. The, the the issue is you want to make the program look so valuable and so good, and the the issue is such a big problem that they just want to fucking solve it no matter what it takes. Yeah, you get to that position like this program's clearly sick. I really need to deal with this fucking problem. Th- you're not going to get an objection. The problem is that you don't have the prospect to have a ni- high enough an awareness of what the issue is, and they don't necessarily have certainty in terms of you the program the product to really understand what it's about and really no one buys facts features benefits no no one no one like no one cares what app you use the reality is no the app is just a tool to deliver the the deliverables that's it you know but no one cares like we don't have to be you know going back and forth for 20 minutes about and we do a check-in every week and we do this and we do this no don't don't sell on logic it's all about emotion you just got to dig in with that emotion. I, I think a good way to think about it as well is when you're talking to guys, especially at the beginning of the call, you're asking them questions, ask them about their job. Like, oh, this must be busy. You must be like hard because dig in, ask them about their work, ask them about their life, how hard it must be like being a guy, you know, providing for your family and like trying to be in shape because, okay, when, when you go, when you go home and you go see your missus and she goes, how was your day? And you start going, this happened and this person said this, she goes, that's great. And then carries on. No, one, no one's wife actually cares about how your day went. So when you actually give the guy an open forum and speak about their life, they're like, no one's ever actually asked me about my day before. And you've already got some report and you can move on. And know? also it gives you a place to find common ground. Mm-hmm. Because um, one of the big things is like people can believe in the products as much as they want, but if they don't believe in you, the person they're speaking to, it's not going to work and they're not going to buy the product. Yeah. Like, hence the commission breath, breath mm-hmm. like reference. Like if they think you're just trying to fucking sell them something and you're a greasy sleazeball, it's not going to work. Exactly. You know, you are, are going back to something you said when you were on that five, you went for like selling everything yeah. and then you stopped. What, and then what you, what I always thought was the best thing to do is when you're on that streak, record those calls, save them. Because I guarantee when you have that like wave where you don't sell anything, if you listen, if you instead of going like, continue, can you review my call and see why I'm going wrong? Go back and listen to when you were firing and you'll go, fuck, I used to say that. You get your confidence I back. used to say that. I, well, I've stopped saying and that. the way you say it. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, so okay. save those. It's the tonality in the body language. And I think also 
one thing I noticed when I started to fluff some sales calls sometimes is not doing the prep work. So like not reviewing the profile of the person, not writing down, okay, like this is the game plan I'm going into this call. Like not checking their profile to be like, have they got a photo with them and their wife and kids? Like I would be rushing the process rather than really like refining and making sure like I'm fully ready for this. Yeah. And just trying to rely on my natural ability to try and wing it, which I've done with a lot of things in life, which doesn't got me <laughs> a fair way, but I'm, I'm learning that. Um, and that's being honest and transparent. I think that's one of the most important things for people to understand is that a way to look really fucking smart for any meeting is to spend 10 minutes preparing for it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 100%. Don't go in blind, especially on your fitness calls, you know, because you're, you're going to find out about... You, you're, if, they, if they go in and you know they've got family, you've got something to start talking about. I, I think I saw you with some kids, right? How are your kids? What's like, what's your wife's name? Like you said, mm. you've got to find uh, out those right details. Write it down. Yeah, yeah. Use it in the call. I, I used to have a sales manager. You know, my background was timeshare. Yeah. And you'd get off your table and timeshare, you're sitting at, on a table opposite a couple and I'd, I'd get off and he'd be like, first thing he'd say is, what are the kids' names? And you'd be like, um, uh, and you go, mm-mm. But like, I'm going to ask you the same thing tomorrow. You need to remember these kids' names. You know, you need to know these details. If you're not asking, if you don't, if you haven't asked their names and you haven't remembered their names, what are you doing? Also shows you don't give a fuck. Yeah. I actually, this is a, this is a horrible story. Okay. I, when I was doing timeshare, I was on a table where we were selling, we're, in timeshare you're selling like big ticket numbers and you've only had like 90 minutes to pitch someone. This lady had just paid eight grand. Okay. She'd signed eight grand and she just went, Jack, I've got a question. What's my name? And I, I could feel myself go red. Like, wow. Like, yeah, this is bad. Uh, this lady, the most beautiful lady I've ever met. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, but that was like that was my. That's where I always revert back to that fear of like this lady's just trusted me to give her to give me this money, and I can't even remember her name. Like that's just disrespectful. Say? I think she was just like she's probably like. You should probably ask that more, you know, and remember. <laughs> <laughs> I, I completely not relatable, but I remember, and this is where that my one of my expressions is like pain is knowledge really fast. Mm -hmm. Like that's obviously given you PTSD and haunt, haunted you. When I used to be an estate agent, like one of the most fucking dumb, stupid things you can do is not lock someone's front door. Like you're showing someone around someone's house. Yeah. You don't lock the fucking door properly. You go back to your office and they call you up being like, yeah, you left my front door open. Like, for fuck's sake. <laughs> like you... When you're suddenly made to look like a fucking idiot, you learn very quickly from that. And the goal of working with me, working with Jack, is to prevent you looking like a fucking idiot so quickly. Yeah. <laughs> and also so you can make more money because, um, and I'd also say like a positive take from that is like, the faster you fail, the faster you learn. So like mm -hmm. sales is a reps game to some degree. The more you do it, the more conversations you have, in particular like with the fitness niche, there's only a certain amount of outcomes and directions a conversation can go to some degree so like once you've done a certain amount of reps like you should be in a position that you know what they're going to ask and say before they've been fucking answered asked and you've got the answer already ready so it's like it's almost at the point where you can't lose because you know what the objection is going to be and you've already got the answer yeah or even better you know what they're going to say and you've already dealt with it mm. you've stopped it becoming objection because you go oh, you've said a couple things and i know where you're going to take this mm. you know so yeah, it's closing those doors before they become problems. I think one of the um, big issues I see with people is mindset related when it comes to sales. I think one of the best things um, I find to help people with this is like the quickest way to improve some of sales skills and closing rates really 
is to focus on their certainty in terms of how much they believe in what they do. So an easy example of a way for someone to do this practically, and like you can tell in someone's tonality in terms of like the way they talk about their program, how they can help someone, like how much conviction you have in what you say, is um, look at some of the best results you've ever fucking had, best feedback from clients beforehand, and like literally read them before you go on the call, look at them. That's great. And then actually tell the fucking stories on the calls. Like, do you know what, Jack? You remind me of John, who's from New York, who I helped drop 20 pounds and his fucking wife loved him and like he would fucking live happily ever after. No, and then people know like, also there's been someone else in my position mm. and they've helped and Charlie's helped them. You know, yeah, so yeah, 100%, couldn't agree more. And that's a really good way actually to frame people in terms of, um, I would say to people, particularly if you've got an experienced business or you've been in the fitness industry a while, it'd be respectfully, Jack, like before we get into this, um, I've been doing this a while and one of the reasons you should trust me is like, imagine if you were gonna have heart surgery, would you wanna go to heart surgeon who's just come out of university never done heart surgery before in Perth, like actually done it, or would you rather work with a heart surgeon who's done it 5,000 times? I'm the guy who's done it 5,000 times, so let's see how we can help you today. Exactly. They're going to fucking relax straight away, be like, I'm in safe hands. Yeah, yeah, no, 100%. 100%. That, I don't know, I, I talk a lot in analogies now, and I think when you start to frame things the way people can like actually process and understand of a situation, they're like, fuck that makes sense yeah it's it, we say keep it simple stupid it doesn't have to be like complicated like you have to go into your details you just need to make it relatable and people to understand it no one is going to say at the end of the call i'm not going to buy this because i'm confused they're just going to go i need to think about it but that shows they're confused exactly and your but job on the call is to give them fucking certainty it's like yes or no yeah because no one's got the balls to say they're confused they're just going to go oh that's great let me get back to you no, you, you need to make it simple so that you never get those objections. The nine times out of 10, someone says they're going to think about it. It's probably because they, you've just rambled on and they don't know exactly what you're going to do. That's a really good thing uh, to actually go into. So I'd say one of the biggest mistakes a lot of people make is they don't shut the fuck up. Mm -hmm. So like, I always like the saying when it comes to sales, like two ears, one mouth. It's like, ask a question, then let them talk. And then I literally be like, anything else? Is there anything else you want to like keep them going? to really talk and particularly find it someone who's quite closed which probably men tend to be a lot um, you really want to try and get them to open up but I think the secret to that is trying to get them to drop the sales resistance at the start of the call and like the heart surgeon way is quite a good way to do that to mm -hmm. give them some confidence that like you're with a professional I can help you and my job here is today like I don't care if you want to fucking sign up the program or not I just want to give you some value and try and solve your problem for you yeah and if anyone and I think personally if anyone's going to be able to help you it's me done and um when you get people into that position that's when you'll find that they'll actually be honest with you and they'll give you a decision there and then on the call because they'll have respect for you and if there's a reason they can't do it they'll probably tell you why it's like i want to do it but i can't because i need to speak to my wife karen because she's a ball ache and won't let me spend my money <laughs> like which is sometimes happens and uh, like a way i like to handle that objection actually because this is a good one uh, i think this is a, a, a good way to ha handle it and i quite like this is um okay so karen doesn't let you spend money without her permission um how much does karen let you spend uh without asking her permission like and they're like fuck i have to ask my wife to spend money that i earn mm -hmm. and then when you put it in that perspective they're like Fuck Karen, like, I'm going to fucking do this. I've actually got a recording of Justin doing that on a call and I've sent it to a few guys in Seven Figure Mastermind and they've literally been like, I've heard people say, so like sales coaches say, 
oh, say this on a sales call and say this on a sales call and it worked. They were like, this is the first time I've actually seen someone overcome the spousal objection. And it was the same thing. It was, so what can we get away with today that she won't notice? And he was like, oh shit, yeah. Yeah, and he, went, <laughs> and he, and he came and he, he gave us a price and we got it through. You and um, what I think is important for people to understand, and I'm a degenerate for this, right? Is like, I don't want to spend money and I'm tight and then like, I'll spend something and I'll buy fucking everything. Like if I go into a shop, Actually, this is the best example. It was two days ago. I didn't buy anything. And then I went into Tay Baker. I bought, I was going to oh, buy that polo shirt. I was like, fuck it, I'll get the other polo shirt. I was like, I'll get those trousers. I'll get those trousers. And a fucking bag full of shit and like 300 quid later. Whereas like, I didn't even want anything, but I was just walking past the shop. But as soon as I'd made the decision to buy one thing, I thought, I'll just get this, I'll get this, I'll get this, I'll get this. So once you get someone to click into gear that they're going to actually spend money and their wallet's out and they're really paying, they're in like buying behavior mode, mode, which is when it's your job to then actually try and sell those people. I, this is off subject totally, but I remember your dad. We'd be shopping. He would spend three minutes comparing two steaks. Oh, two steaks, but then we'd go for lunch. He'd spend like 500 quid at lunch. Like he didn't even like, didn't even matter, but he'd spend three minutes before in his shop comparing two steaks. It just shows you like, it depends what value you see in something. Mm. If you want to go out for lunch, and you want to go and eat nice, you'll spend whatever. I forgot about that. It's just fact, it's funny because it's a true story. My, my dad's incredibly tight with some things and then just doesn't give a shit about other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's just, it's true. It's about understanding what's valuable to certain people. And actually from a sales call point of view, is your job on that course to understand what that person's values are. Because if you understand that their value is that they want to look great on holiday with their wife, that's what's really important to them. Or they want to look confident at work in terms of wearing their suit and not look like a fat slob as a CEO who's managing a massive business, mm -hmm. then that's what you really need to push to in terms of like, okay, cool. So Charlie, you're CEO of a company that makes a billion dollars a year and you speak on stage all the time, but you look really out of shape and look, you look like you have no discipline. Like how much better do you think your career is going to be if you drop 20, 30 pounds and you look in really good shape and you have a good presence about you? Yeah. Like, do you think you'll make five to 10% more a year? Be like, yeah, cool. I was like, okay, how much do you make now? A million dollars a year. So this is potentially worth 50 to 100 grand a year extra to you. And our program is 5K. It's probably a no-brainer at this point. And no-brainer is where you want to be. Mm. What I've, a little bit different, but what I've been trying to get people to do more is everybody says now on their calls, where would you want to be in six months? Where, like, where do you see yourself in six months once you signed up for me? Everyone pitches the, the future. The future. But in a positive way, I think you should ask that question, but also ask the opposite. What now, would happen what, if you keep going the way you're going? What happens if you don't sign up? What, what happens now? And they're going to go, fuck, I'm just going to get, I think it's just going to get worse. And I'm going to get like fatter or like, if you've, if, you've dug, if you've done your job properly and you've dug in deep and you found out that he thinks his wife's not happy with him or that sort of stuff. And you say, what happens in six months if you don't do this? He's going to tell you, I think my wife's going to be even more upset. So what you're telling me is if you don't do this, you could lose a marriage. You could lose a relationship. You've got to do the digging, make him think what's the, what's the fear, and then, then go in with the kill. And I think one of the ways I like to do that with people sometimes is like, say you're talking to a guy who's 40, but like, cool. So, uh, Charlie, do you think you were in better shape at 30 than you were at 40? But like, yeah. Do you think you were in better shape at 20 than you were at 40? But like, yeah. So it's like, do you think you're going to be in better shape than you are now than you're going to be in a year's time? I'll be in better shape now than I'm in years time. So you're going to be getting worse over the next year, next five years. It'll be like, yeah. It's like, you're really unhappy with how you are right now. So do you not think that this is probably something you need to deal with? Otherwise, it's going to get to the point of no return. Yeah. 
And when you frame it with someone like that, they're like, you can see it in their face and you're sitting cool and you're like, their pro face is processing and they're like, fuck. Um, and I think that's what's important when people, when they talk and the tonality of the way they deliver it is like slowing down when you say those things, you actually give the person time to take it in. I naturally talk very quickly, but I will try and slow down mm -hmm. like that to emphasize a point because it then gives the prospect time to think and like actually take in the information of like, fuck. Yeah, but those emotions are exactly why they're going to buy. They're not going to buy because you do a check-in every week and you use the best app in the world. No, they're going to buy because you've sold the fear that they're not, if they don't change, their life's going to go to shit. And because the reality is, it is. And it's your responsibility and your duty as the, the closer or the owner of the company to change these people because you think these people have been putting off the call maybe for a few days. But the likelihood is they've been putting this call off for weeks, months, a year, probably even more. You know, we jump on a call with some people, they've been, they're 300 pounds, 150 kilos. That didn't happen in a year. That happened in a, in a lot. And now this person has seen something on your social media that's resonated with them. They've then filled out an application. They've booked in a call. And they've answered that call. And you're going to let them think about it. Nah. Like, you've got them. You cannot let them procrastinate anymore. And this is where people don't understand. They think it's wrong to sell in this situation. If someone's 300 pounds and they're 100 pounds overweight, they need to be fucking sold. And mm -hmm. they've been, they haven't been able to deal with this the last 20 years on their own. They need someone to push them for their own good. And you see the amount of results we have in our own fitness business. Yeah. Like the people we've sold into the program whose lives we've changed. And that's why sales is the number one skill people need. Because if your sales skill is fucking sick, then everything you do in your business works. The ads work, the content works, everything works. But if you can't close and you can't sell, nothing will work. No, because you could have everything perfect, but if that one thing is broken, sales, doesn't matter. You, you're just wasting money. 100%. Question for you in terms of um, at what point do you think people should have a sales team? So if we talk about this interesting story, when we started with closing forces when COVID happened, I remember I was starting to lose my mind because I was taking like 20, 25 sales calls a week because um, everything was like kicking off after COVID. And I was like, who do I know who's really good at sales? And I was like, oh, Jack. And he was like, and one thing led to another and we built obviously a team to do that. What point do you think most people should look to explore down that route? I think the, I, when I look at who we sell for, it's, there's, there's typically, there's a few type of characteristics. We've either got people like you who wanted to aggressively scale and they don't want to deal with the drama of HR hiring, firing and dealing with all the, because running a sales team is the arguably, I think um, it's because I do it. I think it's one of the hardest parts of the business because you're constantly trying to keep everybody well, happy. You're dealing with a lot of emotions. A lot of emotion, especially when it's commission based. People aren't on salaries. These guys are hungry. They have a bad couple of days. Their head falls off. Um, so you you know, and you 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 need to be focusing on your business, not be focusing on trying to keep everybody happy. So you've got people that want to aggressively scale, and then you've also got people that you know they've got families. You know, I've got I've got a little boy now, but you know, we we sell for coaches that they're like, I love taking my calls. I just want to cut back a bit on my calls so I can actually not just have time on my family, time on my business, but actually be able to like use this money to be with my family. But then we also have people. And I think this is actually, for me, this is the people that actually have the most balls. There's, we, we sell for a lot of people that just went, you know what? 
this is the bottleneck. I am not good at this, and I know I can get someone else to do it better. And that's what they've done. They've just they've delegated that role, and they don't have to worry about. It, they don't have to think about. It, they don't have to deal with the stress. We sell for one girl right now. She told me like, "You have changed my life." I used to get like diarrhea before my calls. I would actually stop doing lead gen to know that you were, so I didn't have to speak to so many people in a week. So you actually you, you became your bottleneck. But I think really, if you want to, the, the best person to the best time to do it is when you're you're hitting that burnout, or you just think. I could be doing more money than this, but I can't. I can't handle it. It's funny because I remember when we first started moving my calls off. I was at the point like someone booked a sales call and I was like, "For fuck's sake!" I was like, "And when you're at that point, it's not a good place." No, because I was like, someone literally booked a call and I'm like, "Fucking bullshit!" I can't be asked to take this call. And when you're a business owner and you can't be asked to take your own sales calls that make you money this is not a positive situation to be in by any means. <laughs> and how much, how big did CJ coaching scale once you took oh, on the I team? I think we went from like 40, 50K to like 100 in about five months or something. Yeah, I think wild. even faster than that. Like mm. it went off, it went off strong. I remember there was one month we went from 50 to 78. Yeah. In four weeks. You know, and I think it was, it was a great time. We, we, we got a lot of closes really fast. I think, you know, what do, what do we have even right now? We probably have, seven people just dedicated to CJ Fitness, which is nuts, really. And I think it also shows what happens when you actually start to remove yourself as the bottleneck in processes, because what happened from doing that, that then allowed me to then just focus on, like, the game I then saw it for the next two years was, like, how can I book as many fucking sales calls as possible? And I think at our peak, we were doing, I remember doing 60 calls a day, January 2021 around that period it was fucking wild and yeah I think we even had like some days where we were creeping up to 100 mm. like the odd day which is nuts but and what I think what people don't understand is is like I think actually we've helped with CJ coaching to actually ask for more money mm. on the calls because even if you're like a one man band it's you and your wife taking the calls these people want everything from you they're, they're, you're on the call with them they want everything but if you've got a, a, a salesperson or a it's, team, it's a barrier. It's a barrier. You're the, we're the gatekeepers and you're being put on a pedestal. No, no, you don't get to speak to Charlie first. Charlie only works with customers that are actually in the program and are like the people that are willing to change, not people that are thinking about changing. And then all of a sudden they're like, shit, Charlie's a big deal. It's not just him taking a course. He's got a team. He's got a success team. He's got coaches. You know, like it, it makes your brand look really strong. That's just reminded of a good question. So what would you say to someone who's like, Oh, but all my clients want to speak to me when they sign up. Um, I would say like that. That's it's never going to happen. They they might want to speak to you, but what you're going to do is spending all your time just talking to potential people. And I would say this is that, um, and this is the line, the exact line that we use, and the exact line that puts perspective to anyone who's an intelligent human being. And I actually would say, particularly with people who are high level individuals, have a lot of respect for this. Is yeah, Charlie would love to speak to you, but Charlie spends his time with people who are paying him money right now mm -hmm. so he can give them the best level of service and his team does rather than people who aren't even working with him yet. Yeah. So when you join the program, you can speak with him. But in the meantime, like we work together and we make sure that you're actually a good fit for us as well as you're a good fit, um, we're a good fit for you. And it's almost like they have to be picked to almost be able to work with you and you almost create... Um, friction. Ex yeah, friction and exclusivity. Because mm -hmm. inherently it's almost like that push-pull technique. If you push someone away, like, not sure you could fit for this. It's like, oh, no, no, I am, I am, I am serious. And and it, and you'd, you'd be surprised. I don't think, out of let's say out of 
30 people that book in in a day, one person asks that, they never kick back and go, well, that's ridiculous. No. Or, or, or if they do, they weren't going to be. that's going to be the fucking worst client you're ever going to get. You never want to work with that person. Exactly. Never. Because they're going to be on your phone all day. Uh, they'll be like, with our Voldemort offer, like low ticket shred and eight shit, that people who like, want to have one-to-one calls with me but paying nine pounds a week or whatever it is, it's like, Yeah. Actually, go, going back to the, the, the shredding eight, the Voldemort offer, I think that's something that people need to have. Because, you know, you're talking about momentum. You have those, you have those, you have those days where you blank. Mm. And I've seen so many of our guys, they've had like two days where they've blanked. And then they're like, Jack, what's going on? Like, I can't sell anything. And then we give them a call. They sell $47. They come out of that room like they're the shit. <laughs> And then they go on to sell three grand. Then, like, and this is cool after. They just got that one yes well, for 47. Someone said yes to them, right? Yeah, they just, want, they just collect the yeses. It doesn't matter on the deal. You help someone, you got a yes, you got that momentum it carried through. And like, you've seen that on the deal sheets mm. probably at the end of the day. They'll be like 47, 47, three grand. And it'd be the same person. Be like, well, how did you do that? No, they just got that momentum and they kept it going. And an important thing for people to understand with the Voldemort offer, and the reason why I call it that is that we don't talk about it publicly because if you sell a low ticket program... Um, publicly it will devalue your brand massively if someone's like because i remember we tried this for a while it, it, like we would try and sell our low ticket program on ads and also the high ticket program people are like well why am i going to pay three grand with this other things 47 dollars a month that says it's personalized yeah and it fucked us for like a couple of weeks well actually like for the for closing force where you've you you've seen like we've been selling recently in the last couple of years with some people that have huge followings like four or five million uh, followers and th- those people for the last five, six years have just been pushing $7 a week programs. And now they want to do high ticket and they've, they've destroyed it. Their brand's ruined. Their, their brand's ruined. All their brand knows is $7 a week. Mm. And, they, and it's basically impossible to turn that around. And ironically, one of these is a business mentor now. And it just shows that like, yeah, they, they make money, but that's also, if they just did high ticket straight away, they'd made 10 times as much. With 10 times less hassle. Yeah, and that's the important thing to understand. And if anyone asks why it's called a Voldemort offer, in Harry Potter film, there's Voldemort you're not allowed to speak about. So, like, the reason it's the Voldemort offer is you're not allowed to talk about it to anyone and no one knows about it. So, um, why, though, that is a good idea to have is in particular if you're running paid traffic, it gives you the ability to have uh, income that liquidates ad spend. So, an analogy of the way I'd explain that is it's almost like you're, you're mining for gold. And the the shit Voldemort offer income is like putting diesel in a digger to keep mining to get the gold of like the two, three K sales. And it just keeps the machine turning over. Yeah. It just creates that momentum all the time. If you were to give um, anyone listening to this two action steps they could implement from this, maybe of course this week, this month, or like something maybe to improve their closing from the however many fucking calls you've listened to from the people in the mastermind the last couple of weeks what would you say are the, the, the grey areas most people tend to struggle? Um, is that, that, well, we've kind of touched on this, the conviction, the certainty. They're going into this. Don't go into your call. Apprehensive. Apprehensive and thinking, I need this one to be a sale. Is this person a sale? Or oh, they look like good, but could they be bad? Just try and help them. Help them and everything's going to be fine. That's my main thing. And my other main thing that I think everybody should be doing is it's the worst thing in the world to hear your voice because you always sound like a teenage boy or or a teenage girl, but listen to your calls because you're going to hear stuff and you're going to go, they they were just about to tell me something and I cut them off. Or why didn't I say that at that time? You know, that's what it like. Genuinely help people and listen to your calls 
Don't just listen to the good ones. Listen to the bad ones. The bad ones are going to learn everything. If you pay attention and actually focus on fixing the problems, you get better at stuff, right? Yep. So most of the reason people are pretty shit at sales, they don't spend any time trying to get better at it. Mm-hmm. Would be the last thing I think, Sean. Um, for anyone who's looking to scale their business and maybe outsource calls because they can't take the calls or don't want to build their own sales team, um, Closing Force have helped me scale to selling $10 million of fitness programs. How can they reach out to you and the guys to help? Um, they can reach out to us on Instagram at Closing Force, and I'm sure they can reach out to between Seven Figures and Charlie Johnson Fitness, and they'll all come down to us too. Yeah, and we'll, we'll refer them on. So, yeah. Uh, for anyone who took a ton of value from this uh, podcast episode, give Closing Force a follow on Instagram. If you enjoyed the episode, make sure you smash the like button, subscribe, and see you next episode soon.